Welcome to Faith Seeking Understanding. I'm John Green, the host, and we're here today in mid-September, on September the 20th, 2020, and the world just keeps getting weirder. It gets stranger all the time. We're, you know, 90 days, or actually less, from an election, and both sides see it as a turning point in history, one of the most important elections of all time. And, and there is some truth to that. It's going to determine a vision for this country and where we're headed. And, and because it's a vision for this country, it also shapes the world because of who we are and where we have the unique place that we have in the world. The, the next four years will be setting an agenda, not just for America, but for the entire world, one way or another. And it's, it's a clearer distinction than we've had in a long, long time. It's an odd time. And then into that and into the mix of the idea of, well, this will be decided by the Supreme Court because the vote's going to be so close and there's going to be so many different factors, including mail-in ballots and this and that and the da-da-da-da-da. So all that stuff is factored in. And then suddenly Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who's been a liberal icon and lion on the court for a long time, died. And now what we have is what looks like a deadlocked court, potentially. So what are we going to do? I'm not here to opine about that. I am here to talk some about that, though. It's been kind of a, a, uh, a good week. It was sort of an odd week in some ways. It was just busy. Didn't get to do much last weekend, although we were busy the whole weekend. We had rain from a hurricane come through and all that kind of stuff. And so it's been interesting. Suzanne and I went out and had a great hike this week. Um, I didn't pay enough attention to the details of the hike, I would say, or kind of didn't really think they were as big a deal as some people were making them out to be when they reviewed this trail. It's not a long trail. It's just a couple of miles out and a couple of miles back. Problem is, about 1,200 feet of elevation gain, that's about a 120-story building. And the problem is the first half of the hike was really nice. It was out on a uh, trail, a really nice trail, really well done by a group called Conserving Carolina. They keep it well. And then from there, basically, you're climbing rocks. And I don't mean rock climbing. You're just climbing up rocks all the time, just walking uphill on rock steps that are not quite even. They're just rocks. So, it you know, it's a big climb. It wasn't too hot, thank goodness, because I'd be a dead man now if there were, because, well, I didn't think we needed water for that hike. So we didn't have any water. I was wrong. <laughs> I was dead wrong. So we made it. It was a good hike. We got to see a waterfall, and we got to go out. There's a, a rock out there called Wildcat Rock Overlook. To go out on Wildcat Rock Overlook and look out over Fairview, and it was it was a nice walk. We made it, which was the really important thing, even without water. But there was a little grumbling, a little bit of murmuring on that trip. That murmuring is what I want to talk about today. Actually, it's in our lessons. It's in both the gospel lesson and the Old Testament lesson. And Paul alludes to it in his Romans passage as well. Or not Romans today, I'm sorry, we're in Philippians this week. 
done with Romans for a while. He moved over to Philippians. And so Paul talks about that in a veiled kind of a way, but it's there, and we'll see what that looks like. But but here's what I want to say about it is, is, is that 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 need not be our default position, although it often is. I pastored a church long enough to know that's a default position of God's people. And I'm not just speaking about laity because the people that I heard murmur more than any other group of people, more than even laity, were clergy. And they brought down an entire successful church planting denomination because of the murmuring of clergy against leadership. The same guys who would have gone completely out of their minds and talked about incessantly how horrible their congregation was were worse than any group of murmurers I've ever seen in my life. And they brought down a denomination. They ruined lives. They did it publicly and they did it privately. And they're horrible for having done so. And if they haven't repented and any of them hear this, you need to repent of what you did in order that you won't do it again in the denomination you happen to be in now. But I see in that denomination that it's still happening. I don't have any patience for murmurers. I've had to endure them. And it's wrong. It's absolutely wrong. heard a story last week about uh, that a, an adult friend of mine told and, and her father was a pastor and somebody asked what was the craziest thing you ever saw in a church and she said I remember being seven years old and there was like a the kids ministry space was at the back of the church in the sanctuary and it had kind of a one way mirror on it the adults couldn't see into where the kids were but the kids could see where the adults were and so they looked out and saw something odd happening and she and her brother were in there and and well, what they found out was there was a coup by one of the staff, the worship leader person, and the congregation to fire her father and send him packing. And so they were in the back looking through that glass because they saw something strange going on and saw her father being publicly denigrated and fired. I've seen it with my own eyes. I've experienced it in my own life. It's a horrible thing, and here we go. Jesus tells a parable. <clears throat> We're in um, Matthew 20, the first 16 verses, and he tells a parable, and the parable is, is of a master of a house who goes out early in the morning, finds some laborers because he needs some people for his vineyard. He sees those laborers there, and he offers them a denarius, which is... If you read the Bible at all, what you do know, every footnote that talks about what a denarius is says it's a day's wages. Uh, that's as close as you're going to get to knowing what a denarius was. It was a day's wages at that time. And so he sends them out into the vineyard, and then he goes out, and he sees some other people waiting there a few hours later, and he sends them out and says, yep, go on out. We'll figure out what we're going to pay you at the end of the day and whatever's right. And then three hours later, and then three hours again, does the same thing, and then couple hours after that, an hour before quitting time, he goes out and does the same thing. Head on out. We'll settle up at the end of the day. And so at the end of the day, the, the ones who've been there last came first and he gave them a denarius. 
those who had worked an hour got a denarius, and then <clears throat> he paid the next ones who had worked three hours, and the next one six, and the next one's nine, and it came to the ones who had been there twelve, and he gave them a denarius too. And their response was, what the what? You gave them a denarius. They worked an hour, I worked twelve hours, why are you giving me the same thing that they get? And he says, didn't we, didn't we agree at the beginning that this was going to be your wage for the day? And then you know what comes next. There's two words, right? Yeah, but. And we're good at the yeah, but. We're good at that. Yeah, but. It, it's not fair anymore. It's perfectly fair this morning, but it stopped being fair when you started giving those other people the same thing we got. We deserve more. Fits with that story from last week, right? With the unjust steward. He gets all the forgiveness. I mean, huge amounts, over a billion dollars worth in today's money of forgiveness, and he won't forgive his brother a third of the year's wages. He deserved it. The other didn't. Even on exactly the same terms with exactly the same plea. And here we are again. Jesus is talking to us about the yeah, but. And that's, but I've been working longer. I've done more important stuff, I've whatever. But I never did those things. Therefore, I deserve more. Now the wages of sin is death. Not the wages of a thousand sins, the wages of one sin is death. Ask Adam and Eve. The gift is life and righteousness. Are we grateful? It's not really our default position most of the time. I, I'm sad to say I, I, I'm one of them. Yeah, but guys. I think I deserve more sometimes because I've done this, that, and the other thing. I've given up a career to come do something else and follow the Lord and serve the Lord. And apparently that wasn't reward for me. It was labor that I deserve something for. I find myself falling into that trap from time to time. It's easy to do. It's natural, frankly, to do that. That's the first sin, actually, is yeah, but. You can have everything in the garden. Everything here is suitable for food for you, except this. Yeah, but you're keeping something away from me that can be really important. The ploy of the serpent is to say, if you eat this, you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. You gave me everything, but it's that mindset, the yeah, but mindset, that infects everything and it ruins everything. Gratitude is something we have to cultivate. The other thing is natural. We gotta work and we gotta fight against it. And, and too often we don't. And too often we not only don't fight against it, but we enlist others in the fight. I've never worked anywhere where I didn't see this happen. It's a natural way of being for human beings. Therefore, Christians who've been born again of water and the Spirit, shouldn't be that way, but we are. We need to allow 
the Holy Spirit to work inside us to convict us of these things and to stop it. It's the main reason, in fact, that non-Christians give when they're asked why they don't go to the church. They see it. They know it. They see this public nonsense of church splits and, and all this other kind of stuff. And there's always a yeah, but behind it all because we all have an excuse, we have an explanation, we have something that we believe that makes our case right and righteous. It rarely is. It rarely is. If you're dealing with heresy, then it's okay. But if you're dealing with personalities and organization and all that kind of stuff, it's not. It's not, frankly. So we got to get over the yeah, but, and that's what Jesus is saying here, is, is that, hey, we should be thankful for what we have. The master didn't have to hire a single one of those people. Not a single one, but he did. It was grace from beginning to end. And they didn't like it because everybody got the same grace at the end of the day. We do this complaining thing well. We go back to Exodus 16 now. We've skipped over the murmuring over water, and now we come to 16, 2 to 15. And it begins with, And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you've brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Yeah, that's, that, that, that was exactly the way you felt when Pharaoh made you slaves and killed your male children. When he mistreated you, he made you go collect the straw and the mud for your own to make bricks. That's exactly how you felt. It was so great sitting by the pots of meat and bread to the full. We had everything. But now we have nothing. I planted a church. I planted a church with people who came out of churches that financially and otherwise were doing well. They could they could have the perfect Anglican worship. They could have all the linens. They could have all the hangings. They could have all the stuff. And then suddenly we didn't have all those things, and that became a problem. Initially, it was great. We were happy to be out from among them. But now, it was so much better. And when we had everything, you forget. What you didn't have there was Jesus. You didn't have the presence of God among you. And that's exactly the situation here with this whole congregation of Israel grumbling against Moses and Aaron. It's interesting that there are some Jewish commentators today who will say, well, that's not really the congregation of Israel. Who that is is a group of people called the Arab Rav the mixed multitude that came out of the wilderness. The people of Israel wouldn't do that. The Arab Rob was there among them. They were rabbled, and their deal was they really were better off in Egypt. So it must have been the Arab Rob that actually said this. The whole congregation of the people of Israel is who Moses, who I believe to be the author of Exodus, says. He didn't say the Arab Rob said this. He said the whole congregation of the people of Israel. We're capable of this. We, we can sing the song of the sea after the Red Sea closes in on Pharaoh's army, and we can celebrate the goodness and the wonder of the Lord, and then five minutes later, we're complaining. 
and thinking it was better before all this happened. And then the Lord said to Moses, I'm going to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people should go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, get twice as much as they gather daily. And then Moses comes and he says something really important here. He didn't take it personally. Why didn't he take it personally? He couldn't possibly be responsible for bread and meat. There's no way he could take that personally because he couldn't do it. And so he deflects this whole thing and says, at evening you'll know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you'll see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? He's pointing the people to God and saying, what you're really doing, you've made it personal towards me, but you know in your heart of hearts, I can't give you bread and meat in the wilderness. So what you're really doing is grumbling against God. It's the thing leaders need to do, but it's also the thing people in the congregation need to do. When they hear it, they need to point back to who are you really grumbling against because this is the leader God gave us for one thing. And if God wanted us to have these things, he'd be giving them to us. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't make that known to God, but do it in prayer, not in grumbling, not in murmuring. But Moses did the right thing here. He says, you're grumbling against the Lord. And then he said, when the Lord gives you the evening meat to eat it and the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Nobody seems to argue with him, <laughs> because I'm sure they knew that he's right. We're not really looking to Moses and Aaron to do this. But they're saying that you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. You, Moses. And that's the other reason Moses answers the way he did. Because the Lord, you'll know it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And this brought out, who brought out who? And what does that brought mean? Continues to work its way through, all the way through the book of Exodus. There's a there's this thing where they ascribe some bringing out, using one verb, to Moses and one bringing out to the Lord. And that's what ends up with them making the golden calf. This Moses who brought us up. And so here they're, they're confusing these two things. and Who did what and who's responsible for. And, and so Moses is very clear about this. He hears this language. He hears, you brought us up. And he said, I didn't bring you up. This is all God. And, and what God's teaching you, Moses is saying, is, is to be patient, to wait for him, to make your petitions known to him by prayer, not by grumbling. Make that known to the Lord. And then rest in him and wait for him and allow him to do what only he can do. But he's very clear. And then, then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And then the people of Israel looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in a cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. 
The reason I keep reading this is because I want you to see that I'm not making a mountain out of a molehill. That word grumbling is over and over and over. So he says he hears them. And so you're going to have twilight. At twilight, you'll have meat. And in the morning, you'll be filled with bread. And you'll know that I'm the Lord your God. They see the glory of the Lord coming in the wilderness. They hear God speak to Moses and say to these things, Moses, God speaks to Moses, Moses speaks to the people. And then it happens. Quail came and covered the camp, and in the morning dew lay around the camp. And then this is one of my favorite descriptions and favorite little scenes in the whole Bible. And when the dew had gone that morning, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. Have you got a picture of that? Because I don't. But it's the only way. Moses can figure out how to describe it. It's a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. He says, "There's basically, he's telling you, it, 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 it didn't taste like chicken, so I don't know what to tell you it tasted like. You know, he, he doesn't have a word for it. It's something I, and the people look at it, and they looked at each other, and they said this, literally, what is it? <laughs> don't you love that? I mean, they, they just look at this stuff on the ground, and they're like, what is that? Well, they did not know what it was, is what Moses tells us. Well, we kind of got that picture the first time around. Then Moses said to him, it's the bread the Lord has given you to eat. The next line, I'm sure, was, are you kidding? We're going to eat that stuff laid on the ground? That fine flake-like thing, finest frost on the ground, that's our bread? Huh. But it was. It was manna. And for a while, they were joyful about the manna. It was a wonderful thing. God even said, put it in a jar. Put it in the Ark of the Covenant. Carry that thing around. And they were delighted to have that. It was, it was a sign that God provided for them when they called out to him one way or another. That God heard their grumbling as a prayer, essentially, and, and gave them something. And, and it, huh, it wasn't quite what we thought, but we were happy to have it for a while. And then you get over to Numbers 11, and they grumble about that manna. <laughs> it's typical, though, right? I mean, God, we, we pray, we make our need known to God, and then he provides his way, and, and we're like, what? Huh? And then we figure it out for a little bit, and we're happy about it. I was really happy about my job. I was really happy about my church until I wasn't. And then I grumbled about it. I complained about it to Suzanne. I complained about it to... Anybody else who would listen? And then the Lord showed me what I was doing. He said, you need to be grateful that you have a place in the kingdom, John, much less a leadership position, much less being able to serve my people and make a living doing that. I despair sometimes of myself. I despair that I'm ever going to be a thankful person. It's hard. Because it's so unnatural for me. And so it, it's difficult to deal with this. But what I'm telling you is something that the people of God have got to absolutely cultivate in their own lives and hold one another accountable for cultivating in their lives. We can't allow ourselves at this moment in time, this moment in history, as we stand on the precipice of, of losing our hegemony in not only the United States, we've already lost it in the world, but as we become second-class citizens, we got to stop. Murmuring, we got to be thankful for what we have. 
and, and then we have to begin to reclaim the ground that we're losing and that we've lost. And the way to do that is become the people of God who are so thankful that we look like the early church who provided for one another and cared for one another and, and gave so much that they had to get deacons to come and take care of the people because there's so much there. There's such a gratitude for eternal life, a gratitude for community who believe together. Starts today. We've got to begin to be those people. And Paul, when he writes to the Philippians, says one of those famous lines that you'll ever hear, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I cannot, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with God, for that's far better, parentheses for me, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. And so Paul says, you know, as for me, I'd like to end this life right now. I'd like for it to end any time, and I'd be happy with that, and then I could go and be with the Lord. But, but I know that I have important work to do here. And if you read through the book of Acts, what you'll find is, is, is that Paul did fruitful labor, but when he writes this, he's in prison. He was persecuted all the time. He bore all kinds of persecution for the church. The church was birthed through great pain and suffering for Paul and for many others who were part of this thing. But Paul says, as much as I'd rather be there, I need to be here for you. Convinced of this, I know that I'll remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. The Philippians loved Paul like no other congregation. You could tell it in the way that he writes to him. They're one of the few congregations that he asks and allows to do anything for him. He says, but, but okay, now that enough about me. Remember, I'm doing this for you. Only let your manner of faith be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whatever, whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you're standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. That needs to describe the church right now. In your manner of life, be worthy of the gospel of Christ, and that you stand firm in one spirit, with one mind, strive side by side for the faith of the gospel, not frightened of anything by your opponents, because he is in charge. The Lord is in charge of everything. This is a clear sign to them, the opponents, of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. And then he says this important thing the church needs to hear. It's been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. The, the, we're good at murmuring when it's difficult. Paul says, get over it. It's been granted to you for the sake of Christ that you suffer for his sake. And he sees that they're engaged in conflict and he uses language like opponents, destruction, and salvation. Let's stop being our own opponent. Let's stop opposing one another. Let's stop opposing that leader or that leader. And let's stop opposing 
denomination against denomination. Let's struggle for the sake of Jesus Christ because we're struggling for his kingdom, but we're also struggling for his name to be glorified in and through us. And the church is his chosen vessel. It is his bride. So let's stop bashing the church. Let's stop bashing the leaders of the church and let's stop bashing one another. And let's stop grumbling and let's celebrate. Let's worship. Let's rejoice, as Paul would tell the Philippians so many times. Joy should characterize Christianity. Not grumbling and not murmuring. Murmuring is something that has to be overcome in a Christian life and in a Christian congregation. Joy. Love. Hope. All the stuff that Paul tells the Galatians or fruits of the Spirit, those need to be the hallmarks of the church. As Christians, let's commit ourselves to getting over it, to getting over ourselves, and to keep our eyes fixed on the cross, taking up our cross and following him, not to death, but to life to resurrection, to eternal life, to the throne. Lay aside all the things that encumber and murmuring is absolutely the biggest thing we have that encumbers because the attitude should be gratitude. And if you're murmuring, first sign that gratitude is not what's going on in your life. It should be the check in your spirit that says, I need to become thankful again. I need to get my eyes off the thing I'm murmuring about and grumbling about it. I need to get my eyes on him. Shift my gaze and restore joy and thankfulness to my life. That's all I've got for you this week. We're going to head out in a little bit and do some hiking in a new place that we haven't been before. So I'll post some pictures of that probably on Facebook later if it's worth posting. But I hope you have a great week. I hope you have a blessed week. I hope you are able to have peace in the midst of the storm. Get your eyes off the storm and get your eyes on Christ. Just don't be like Peter. Don't allow all the stuff that's going on in the world today to take your eyes off him. You're walking on water, Christian. As long as you keep your eyes off the storm and keep your eyes on him, be of good cheer and fear not, for he is with you. He's in control. He's sovereign over all things. Be thankful. Rejoice, worship, and celebrate. Because you've got way more reason to than you even can imagine. You've been listening to Faith Seeking Understanding. My name is John Green. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, prayer requests, whatever you have, then you'll see a Facebook link there to Faith Seeking Understanding's Facebook page. Please post them there. Post them privately or publicly. Makes no difference, whichever way you want to do it. But I look forward to hearing from you. God bless.